This week's episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Harry's.com. If you're looking for the right gift for a guy, it can often feel impossible, but Harry's.com has this winter. They're offering a limited edition shaving set, and as a special offer for fans of this show, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off your order when you enter code FILMCAST at checkout. That's $5 off your order when you use promo code FILMCAST. Go to harrys.com and take advantage of that offer today. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com and use promo code FILMCAST to get $5 off your order. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Vendra Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. What we're going to do here today is talk about what we have been watching, uh, and then move on into a discussion of film news as well as a Slash Film Court where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. We're going to wrap up with one in-depth review, and that's Manchester by the Sea this week, the new film by... Kenneth Lonergan starring Casey Affleck. Uh, there will also be a special After Dark bonus. So uh, lots to discuss today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, find more episodes of our podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. You can also email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. So, guys, let's get to what we've been watching this week. This week, I watched Pervert Park. You guys heard of, of this movie? Of course you did. Of Pervert Park. <laughs> Pervert no. Park is a movie that's on uh, on Netflix and PBS, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm just going to read the synopsis off the site. Florida Justice Transitions Trailer Park is home to 120 sex offenders, all battling their own demons as they work towards rejoining society. This film considers how the destructive cycle of sexual abuse and the silence surrounding it can be broken. Essentially, Pervert Park takes a look at 120 people who are living in this very enclosed trailer park. And as you may know, if you are a sex offender, uh, the restrictions on where you are allowed to live are incredibly intense. And so a a bunch of them have just gathered here because they can find relative safety in numbers uh, Mm -hmm. and and have a a kind of safe place for themselves because uh, otherwise they would run afoul of the law just living someplace. And this movie is 78 minutes long. And I felt like I got what it was trying to do in the first 20 minutes. You know, there's nothing, there's no real plot to speak of. It just, just kind of interviews mm-hmm. with all the different people in the park and the backstories of how they came to be there and kind of some of the things that they're trying to do. Uh, and it definitely runs the full gamut. There's people there who uh, are horrible human beings and definitely deserve to be, you know, exiled for the rest of their lives and there's people there where you think to yourself oh man like they they made a simple mistake uh they chatted online with the wrong person for one instance in a moment of uh poor judgment and they ended up in you know in the same place as you know a rapist and uh it, it doesn't ask you to sympathize with any of these people it just tries to provide you with a deeper understanding of what they're going through who they are uh and that kind of thing and I, I just found it to be a pretty interesting look into a subculture that we normally would never have access to nor want access to. Uh, right. And, yeah, for that reason alone, it's it's worth a look. But this movie is relentless. You know, there's not many 
happy stories that are being told in this movie. And so it's just nonstop human suffering and misery because a lot of the offenders have parents uh, who are offenders or they were sexually assaulted themselves. And that's partly, you know, you know, what caused them to offend. And so it's just a whole bunch of uh, sad, depressing stories that are nonetheless very illuminating. Anyway, you know, it sounds like a movie made for you, Dave. (laughs) I thought I'd get into the Christmas spirit by Uh watching Pervert Park. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, is this? A, Are you, you glad you watched it? Uh, yeah, I mean, okay. I, I feel like I understand the world a little bit better. I, I think one thing that a lot of people might not realize is that the list of things that can get you branded as a sex offender is quite long, uh, and it, there's a huge diversity of uh, of crimes that can get you branded that way, and some of them are fairly. You know, I wouldn't say innocuous because they're obviously all damaging in some way, but mm-hmm. some of them are much worse than others. So I'll put it that way. There's a range. There's yeah, a gradient. there's a huge range. A gradient of perversion. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, and I think the movie really brings that to light uh, in a really compelling way. Pervert so, Park, the worst Westworld park. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, so, uh, anytime you bring up one of these movies, Dave, I think about the things you're not watching. <laughs> Like you, Firefly. You, the thing like other you, things. You, are, you watching this instead of. Yeah. 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 Well, guys, I, I'm trying to broaden. This is why, guys, I've given up hope. Trying they to broaden up. my horizons, gentlemen. Uh-huh. Um, anyway. Perfect Park is available on Netflix. And I, I don't know if I can recommend that you watch it. I'll just say <laughs> that, you know, it's, it's a movie that uh, definitely examines the issue in a way that, you know, is is somewhat interesting. I don't really know what else there is. Like, it's exactly what I've described it as. It's just a bunch okay. of interviews with sex offenders and why they came to be there. So I've also uh, read a bunch of, uh, I think uh, there's been some really good articles and magazine features on this thing too. So I think you could just like read those maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, I'll just say one other thing is like there's no yeah. one profile for uh, a sex offender. There's no like one reason why uh, they came to be that way. You know, the, their stories are very diverse and uh, and fascinating. And you just are, are, are filled with sympathy and pity, not just for the victims, but also for um, these people who found themselves in this situation, often of their own doing. Uh, it just is a, it's a heartbreaking film. And uh, that's all I'll say about it. So if you want some heartbreak in your holiday season, Pervert Park on Netflix. All right. Devinger Hardware, what have you been watching this week? Um, I saw Train to Busan, uh, which is a Korean zombie film from Sang Hee Yeon. And yeah, uh, I, guys, saw, I, I saw Edgar Wright tweet about this. He said it was awesome. Yeah, uh, and it's, it, uh, it's like it's like twenty eight days combined with Snowpiercer. Basically, is that roughly correct? Pretty much. Oh, I mean, the Snowpiercer parallels. Later, I should say. Yeah, twenty eight days later, the Snowpiercer parallels are pretty much only there because they both take place on trains. But otherwise, like not <laughs> not much similar going on there. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a big zombie blockbuster, and you know, like I do feel burnt out on the whole zombie thing. I feel like Walking Dead and so many movies lately too. Like there there's been some good stuff, but I'm just kind of over it a little. Um, but the, this movie actually does a lot of great like zombie tropes very well. Like it's it starts out a uh, kind of a, a father who is basically a father who's not such a great father has to take his daughter to see um, his estranged wife. And that's kind of the core emotional story of it. But it takes place amid a zombie breakout uh, while they're on the train. And, uh, you know, at least there's some really great set pieces. I think the imagery here 
is great. These are fast running zombies. They're not like these slow shuffly zombies. And what this movie does well is just like hordes and hordes of zombies, like so many zombies, like zombies piling on top of each other, which I think is imagery we sort of saw in World War Z, except uh, in that movie, they were mostly CG and they looked kind of awful and not scary. And that movie was just kind of a mess. Uh, this movie is very focused. Um, it's 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 a straightforward zombie action movie. Sometimes that's all you need, guys. You, you just need a father trying to save his daughter from zombies. Uh, the set pieces. There's some good stuff here. Uh, I won't spoil it, but there's definitely there are points where they have to like get through several cars full of zombies, right? And uh, it's very much like yeah, getting from point A to point B, almost like a video game quest. And the way they go about it uh, for every car is unique and different, and you know, kind of does things we haven't seen before. Uh, it's a little melodramatic, especially towards the end, uh, but it's it's just a lot of fun. This reminds me that you know you could do something new and interesting with the zombie stuff. Does days. it look and feel like a big budget film? It does. Yeah, gotcha. I think I mean, it, it looks like a blockbuster movie, not maybe not like to the level of something you'd see in the US. But there's I, what it makes up what it lacks in like special effects. It makes up in like just having hordes and hordes of people as zombies. And it's pretty scary. Like there's some scary situations here. Uh, it's relentless too. like there. The movie never really lets up. It's always tense. And you're always kind of on edge watching it. So a lot of fun. Worth checking out for sure. That's Train to Busan. And it's available on iTunes right now. It's an exclusive exclusive, yeah. exclusive movie on iTunes. Yeah. Uh, and Devendra, I asked you if this should be a blind buy. You said yes, right? I you think should... so. If you if you like zombie stuff, if you like Korean cinema in general, uh, it's definitely worth a shot. Um, you know, think of what you spend $15 on. Uh, I, I think an experimental or, you know, a, a movie from a director you probably haven't heard before, it's probably worth it. Uh, there's not much in the way special features but the movie itself is definitely worth it this guy also apparently did a zombie animated movie called soul station which i think is getting um released now because of the success of train to busan and he's done some korean animated films before too so i also kind of like the uh the transition from you know animation director to live action director uh well let me give you a few uh shopping tips on itunes <laughs> Because I spend a, a significant amount of money on iTunes. Uh-huh. Uh, and this movie is $15 right now. Virtually every movie on iTunes that is $15 will at some point drop down to $10. That's, and that's, that's true. very true uh, for like a specialty horror film like this. Uh, it, it might not be true for like a Disney film. You know what I'm saying? They keep their prices high all the time. Yeah. But oh, like, I would say 80 to 90% of movies, all like, and I'm including big budget releases in that, uh, will often come down to $10. And second point is also that virtually any movie like this, like an indie film that's a genre film, will eventually appear on a video-on-demand service like Netflix or Amazon. Uh, I would, again, give it something like a 70 or 80% chance because those yeah. services pay a lot of money uh, and are thus a better way for the distributor to make money Mm-hmm. than transactional video on demand or TVOD, which is what iTunes yeah. is. So You're basically just paying for the privilege of seeing it like right now. Exactly. Which, exactly. So so I'm saying I'm saying by all means go out and support, you know, this indie uh, or not indie, but this foreign film that yeah. is uh, a pretty great genre entry. But also know that if you wait a little bit, it'll likely drop to $10. And if you wait a year, you'll probably get to see it on Netflix or Amazon. And uh uh, that's just a, a tip from Dave Chen there for your <laughs> shopping uh, proclivities. So, 
Yeah. Anyway, uh, you've been watching Goliath as well on Amazon, right? Now, this is a show that Jeff yeah. uh, liked. He talked about it a loved. couple weeks ago, right? Jeff, yeah, loved, Jeff loved it. Loved, yeah. Jeff loved it. So do you agree loved. with Jeff Kanata on this yes. one, Devendra? Uh, I really like it. Uh, I kind of have to – yeah, I can't – I just don't love it as much as you, Jeff. So sorry. Sorry there. But I do want to say it's a, it's a very fun show to watch. Uh I think it's doing some really cool things uh, when it comes to like a courtroom drama. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton, entertaining as always. William Hurt uh, here being the big bad, just chewing on the scenery. There's a lot of good stuff here. I just wish, um, I guess I wish some of it were better too, because uh, I I can't help but compare compare every court show now to The Good Wife. And yeah, it's it's just Mm -hmm. not at that level. Um, There are things here that I really like, um, but there are also things that are so cartoonish. I wish that they had a little more time to spend on like smoothing out some of the rough edges of it. William Hurt's character is just like a cackling villain. And that's like, I'm pretty much on the last, I'm pretty, I haven't finished the series yet, but I'm pretty much there. And yeah, he's such a cackling villain. He, uh, he has burn, you know, he has burn scars all over his body. And I'm sure there's going to be a story reason for that, but mostly it's to make him seem like a bond villain uh, while he spies on all of his employees through, you know, surveillance cameras in all of their offices while he's in a dark office himself. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I want to work better. The core mystery, I think, is kind of interesting. But really, the thing is, I wish, um, you know, I, I feel like we've seen Billy Bob Thornton play this character so many times. And he's such an engaging actor. I kind of want him to I want to see him do new things. That's kind of why I'm not as excited about Bad Santa because I feel like he's also played that character many, many times too, right? The, the like curmudgeonly, um, the curmudgeon guy who just always has a bad attitude, but kind of a heart of gold almost. But deep down, he's really a good guy. I'd love to see him do something new at some point. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a short series and I like that it doesn't have to drag itself out. So it is a nice bit of entertainment, um, especially if you have an Amazon Prime membership already. Uh, there's so much good stuff on Amazon. It's definitely yeah. one of the things to check out. Um, Bosch, I think that's the one I am in love with on Amazon. Uh, and also Mozart in the Jungle. So good. Well, that's Goliath, and it's available right now on uh, Amazon Prime Streaming. Uh, that's what Devinger has been watching. Jeff, you've been watching Westworld. Now, we should mention that uh, we're going to offer a few general thoughts on the season finale of Westworld. We will not spoil anything. And then we'll have an After Dark where we're going to talk freely about spoilers for Westworld. So uh, all that being said, Jeff, season one, over 10 hours of Westworld. Yeah. At the end of it all. (laughs) So much Westworld. What do you think? Uh, You know, I I don't know if I expressed to you guys, but I definitely was worried about six or seven episodes in. I was starting to feel some threads of of lost there. Uh, I, I was worried the show lost its way, um, and it's oh, bad because see because Lost did that, and uh, you know it it felt like the kind of thing that was going to stretch out its mysteries over over multiple seasons, and it was yeah. going to constantly just give you a breadcrumb that actually was just another question. And these enigmatic things were going to be dangled in front of our face, like the numbers in Lost and the hatch in Lost. And and every time that we find out more information about those things, it just adds 12 more questions. Uh, but I have to give Westworld a lot of credit. I thought that the finale was really satisfying on a whole bunch of levels as far as uh, um, clearing up mysteries and really bringing uh, an, an entire – story arc to a satisfying conclusion. We'll talk more, as you said, 
spoilery in the in the after dark, but overall a very satisfying season. If even if the tone left me a little, um, oh man, it's just a little bleak at this mm-hmm. point. But uh, <laughs> yeah. great performances, beautifully shot. Um, it really does pick up the mantle from Game of Thrones and and kind of carry that 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 torch of great HBO addictive experience forward. I think, I think it, it really was a worthy successor to, you know, all the, the pedigree of Sopranos and, and, and all the great HBO shows through time. Devinder Hardware, you agree? Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm pretty much right there with you, Jeff. Uh, towards the middle of this season, I was getting worried. Uh, the show wasn't completely satisfying to me, even early on. Like if, if there are threads I liked. I loved, um, Tandy Newton's character, you know, I loved um, Evan Rachel Wood's character too, Dolores. Like their stories are great, and then beyond that, Bernard kind of interesting, and then whatever the hell's going on with uh, Doctor Ford. Uh, but I-, I think the show, like, it had characters who seemed more like archetypes and not like human beings in a way, and it, it almost seemed like every element of the story was like a puzzle piece uh, that y- y- we were kind of left to fit together. Which is why I guess I'm not surprised that there's been uh, so many podcasts and uh, review shows and people really, really focused on like unlocking the mystery. And that's fine. I think I've, uh, I, I've seen some articles this weekend about people saying uh, that's a wrong way to watch a show, um, <laughs> which is garbage. Uh, there's never a wrong way to watch a show. I do think, though, that that's closed. Yeah, well, maybe <laughs> or at 2x speed, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a wrong way. Uh, but I do think like the show. I almost wonder if like you're getting more enjoyment from the show by doing that rather than what the show is actually giving you. And that's that's what I'm kind of worried about. You know, I think the show is giving us puzzle pieces and not 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 even solutions, but like uh, worthwhile narrative uh, stories and characters we actually care about. Um, I want to see more of that. Uh, the season finale, I thought, was pretty good. Like it just it really like um it solved a lot of the mysteries I was wondering and it introduced new ones that were genuinely kind of fascinating and makes me want to rewatch the season a bit. I just hope they learn to focus a bit more in season two. Uh, I'm tired of conversations where people just talk around each other in like soliloquies in philosophical ideas. Like I love those ideas. Let's explore those and let's, you know, do something real with that. Somebody actually a friend of mine, uh, Brian Brushwood, who people may know, uh, oh, yeah. pointed out a really I thought astute observation. And he said, uh, who's the protagonist of Westworld? Kind of doesn't have one. There isn't one, right? Yeah. Um, you don't need one. That's not even what I'm well, saying, but yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of felt like that mm-hmm. kind of put it, put a point on mm-hmm. a feeling that I had had for a while of like, what am I, wh- wh- yeah. who am I supposed to be rooting? What am I supposed to be invested in here? Right, right, right. And I think the big narrative threads like was like solving the maze uh, right. And that was like the big one. And that felt so convoluted because it is it's literally a video game quest. And I know that's also a meta commentary on, you know, what the what the show is trying to say about storytelling, too, and about like uh, game storytelling and narrative. But I just I want a little more. I don't even mind that there is no single main character. I just want to care more about the characters we have because many of them are great. Uh, we just don't get enough with them. All right. Well, uh, those are thoughts on the Westworld season finale. We'll have a bunch more thoughts in the spoiler section uh, in the After Dark. Uh, I will just say that I will have, I believe, three to four hours worth of conversation separate from the Slash Filmcast <laughs> of uh, Westworld finale. I've just launched a new podcast with Joanna Robinson where we talk about pop culture generally 
You can find that at genpopshow.com. Our first episode is about uh, what Devendra was just mentioning, like the idea of online fan theorizing and whether that's ruining television. Spoiler alert, it's not. Uh, and we actually have James Poniewozik from the New York Times joining us to talk about that and also um, Decoding Westworld, the other podcast I do. But uh, more to come later on in the Slash Filmcast uh, with spoilers. Uh, so that's what we've been watching this week. Now, before we get on with the next segment of the show, I just want to say that over the last few weeks, we've been doing this new segment called the Slash Film Court uh, where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas and... Uh, the feedback on it has been somewhat mixed. I would say like 80% positive feedback and maybe 20% negative feedback. People saying uh, the, the negative feedback is very intense, I, I guess. No one's disrespectful. As negative feedback always <laughs> is, Dave. No one is disrespectful or, or hateful or anything like that. But some people are saying um, not only do I not listen to the Slash Home Court segment, but I, the, I, I'm – Considering not listening to the show anymore because you do the slash film court segment, which, <laughs> which you know, I think is a little yeah. harsh because we the do fast forward button is yeah, so we do hard give, to reach. Well, someone saying someone literally wrote this week, uh, I. I it is too much trouble for me to fast forward to the timestamps. Yeah. It's too bad we is. lock out that button unless you pay us. <laughs> uh, anyway, the the feedback has been mixed, and so I my my. Uh, Thinking on it is that we'll try to do the Slash Film Court every week, but we'll try to do more film news, and there might be some weeks where we don't do the Slash Film Court. Uh, but that's that's kind of my thoughts. And if you have any feedback, if you want to let us know whether you like the segment or not, please email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. I will say this one thing, which is that since we started doing the Slash Film Court segment, uh, we've gotten, I would say, I don't know, 50 yeah. to 100 Slash film court emails, you know, just engagement with, numbers are way up. Yeah, with the dile- with people's dilemmas that are totally fascinating, and I, I love reading yeah. them, and I love responding. These people to them would have no outlet for their dilemmas. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yes. So, so I love it. You know, not just because it's super fun for us to do, but because it gives us an opportunity to engage on a very regular basis with uh, with listeners. And so, I I don't think it's going to stop. Um, and uh, but I just want to acknowledge. Thanks for all the feedback. Keep all the feedback coming in. And uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of film news today and then some slash film court stuff. So film news, I, the big item that, that came out this week was Netflix had a major change. And Devendra, I think you were – was there an event this week, right? Or no, was there no. – uh, it was just I a, woke up on Monday morning and Netflix <laughs> was like, oh, here's offline downloads. Good luck writing this news in 10 minutes. Wake up, everybody. Uh, right. That was my Monday morning. For context, <laughs> for context, uh, you know, if you're listening to Devendra's complaining just now and you're wondering to yourself, well, isn't that what, how normally it works? N- the answer is no. Uh, typically when a large company announces a, a piece of news like this, they pre-brief press. And then they have an embargo lift at the same time that they announce it. So that like all those stories on USA Today and New York Times and Engadget.com that appear instantaneously after the announcement, those don't just happen organically. Like the yeah. the press is often briefed and then they, they know that the news is going to go live and then they post it uh, when – uh, the company has told them like the embargo is over. And uh, there are arguments to be made whether that's good or not. Um, I, I actually do think this news is big enough that they should have held like even a small event. Like that, this is kind of well. It, forget about event. For forget about event. Just like a yeah. pre-brief would have been nice. Like something. Uh, so, give me something. Netflix. Like yeah, you know, an, an event is you know you gotta like there's a lot of logistics. You have to the make webcast. sure you don't schedule. Do a, yeah. your video <laughs> streaming service. Stream it on Netflix.com. I think Come the problem the problem that Devinger ran into is that so firstly Netflix 
now allows you to download shows and watch them offline. Which, for anyone who's ever been in the subway or flown on a plane and wants to watch their Netflix shows, this is a huge, 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 huge. bonus. Um, and this is something that Amazon actually already has, and it's super convenient with they Amazon. for years, but it's terribly hard to use, though. So I don't think it's terribly hard to use. I've, I've had a really good you, time with it. Says a man who doesn't own an Android device. Do you know what you have to do <laughs> to download Amazon crap on Android, Dave? I shudder to think of it. I shudder you to think to of it. You have to go to – so first of all, okay, you may, you may go to Google Play. You think you may find the Amazon Prime video app there? No, it is not there. You have to go to Amazon's website and download the Amazon um, Underground App Store, I think. And you go there, okay, and then you download the Amazon app there. But no, it's another app. It's an Amazon Prime video app. Uh, so it is a multi-step process on Android, which is really annoying. iPhone's a little easier. That's yeah, nice. It's it pretty easy on iPhone. Uh, two years ago, Cliff Edwards, Netflix then director of corporate communications, said it's never going to happen in terms of, of them offering offline downloads. That was around the time that Amazon announced that they were offering off, offline downloads. Yep, and so, yep. uh, But now Netflix is offering offline downloads, and that is pretty awesome. Not only that, apparently they offer some really good compression that allows you to download it uh, at not a massive file size, which is also another mm-hmm. bonus. But one of the, the reasons this is confusing was it was not clear what the terms and conditions were, right, Devendra? Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in terms of what you could download and also how long you could download it for without um, restrictions. You know, on Amazon, I think you only uh, – you need to go online once every two weeks in order to authenticate. You know, uh, you can't just download it and go offline and just watch it forever. So, um, so there are a lot of terms and conditions that weren't yeah. made 100% clear. Now, do you have any clarity on what is allowed, Devendra? I mean, it, well, the weird thing is when uh, this all started with like a random tweet by Netflix on Monday morning where they had this little trailer saying, uh, basically saying you could take the stuff you love offline. It only showed Netflix shows where we were like, oh, okay, offline is here, but it's only Netflix shows. But no, it turns out you go in there, there's there's a bunch of TV shows. There's all the CW content and a lot of other stuff, uh, Moonrise Kingdom and some great movies, too. That's on there as well. And they've just basically done a very bad job of telling us what's actually available. Um, so it's more of a messaging complaint, I guess. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff. It's not just Netflix stuff. And yeah, uh, my, my guess uh, is they can cool. only get the rights to their own stuff to advertise yep. this feature. And Maybe. that's why it ended up that way. But yeah, Maybe. having knowing how, like having seen the behind the scenes of how these announcements happen, like that's my guess as to why it happened the way mm-hmm. it did. Um, but uh, is this a feature you guys are planning on using? Do you guys sure. download yeah. stuff offline? Yeah, it's all about air, airline flights, man. It's yeah. all yeah. about uh, getting ready to go on a, a flight. I, I, you know, I love that. That's, uh, that's something I've been wanting for a long, long time because I find myself, uh, you know, whenever I, I'm, I'm flying somewhere, I, I feel like I need to prepare. I need to, I always have like 12 times more things to do on a flight than I actually have time for. I tend to just right, right. sleep. But I want to know that I could watch like six different things if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah. And also, in-flight entertainment has gotten pretty good. I think it's uh, either Delta or JetBlue made all of their stuff free, like everything. So the movies yeah. and the TV shows. So like in-flight has gotten good because they also know that people are just bringing their own stuff on. So they kind of have to give you a reason to stare at their ads and screens all day. Yeah, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. But mm-hmm. uh, I agree with you guys that basically I always – kind of have fantasies about the things I'm going to watch on the plane, you know, sure. and I download 30 things 
it's like when you buy books before going on vacation. Right. I think to myself, oh man, I'm going to plow through House of Cards season three, no problem. And then I get on the plane and I I just fall asleep or play some stupid, uh, you know, phone games or anything like that. Stare at the seat in front of you. Yeah. You know, or watch like Pervert Park instead or something like that. So. Uh, What's the handmaiden on a plane? Yeah. Oh yeah, that was another piece of news. That was another piece yeah. of very unfortunate news that came out this uh, week. Yep. Was that the handmaiden is not going to be released on Blu-ray, which is awful because that is a movie that deserves to be seen on Blu-ray. So yeah. that was very upsetting. That being said, most people will probably watch it on video on demand or on streaming. Uh, I believe true. it will be streaming on Amazon Prime, right? So yeah, it's an Amazon Studios movie. Because so. uh, I think Sony is also either part part of the production or distribution studio for this as well. And Sony, once again, like not Blu-ray is a format that they help build. Like their name is on that format. So it's very, uh, very weird to see them back away from it in some ways. Yeah, uh, it looks like Amazon took the streaming rights. And mm-hmm. it, I'm guessing Sony still has the uh, hard... Yeah. copyrights is why it's shaking out this way. Jeff, what were you going to say? I just, I'm echoing what Devendra is saying about Sony acting in a very bizarre manner with regard to it's Blu-ray. It's, it, you know, the yeah. PlayStation Pro comes out and it doesn't support high definition Blu-ray. Like, what? That doesn't, doesn't make 4, sense. But know, Sony, Sony doesn't even have a 4K thing of its own. So right. they have this thing out there. They don't have their own service. Uh, they're relying on 4K Netflix and 4K, 4K YouTube right now, which there isn't that much on YouTube. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what the hell they're doing content-wise. It is very puzzling. Very uh, weird. But meanwhile, guys, I bought my first four, uh, 4K Blu-rays. So. Oh, you were using the and? Xbox One S to yes. play them? Yes, I am boldly entering another dead format, as I do, <laughs> and I love yeah, it. I, I think that's love the problem, it. is that 4K UHD Blu-ray... It feels like it's Walking Dead. Like it feels like it's it's dead dead format dead format walking. That's my that's my argument, right? Like it it can't really get much better at home. Like uh, we'll have four we'll have eight K and stuff eventually. Uh, but guys, four K is even really hard to see a difference on like a fifty to sixty inch screen, you know. So for me, that's the ultimate, right? Four K projector later this year, um, or next year. And my entertainment life at home will be complete for a long time. What you're saying is this is the logical conclusion of yes. physical formats. There will be nothing there after streaming 4K. formats. Like there, there will be, there might be 8K. There might be 8K one day, but yeah. you'll need such a massive television that it's not. You know, there's. Yeah. You might not necessarily even know We've what the difference. We've reached the point is. of diminishing returns, basically. I can't yeah. wait to see the look on Jeff's face. Once a an 80-inch 8K television comes out, <laughs> and he realizes that his massive 4K purchase was for naught. Oh, I'm already there because I don't have HDR, yeah. man. Yeah, you, oh, you really? Oh. You want HDR, Jeff? I I'm do. sorry. Mm. Every That's time... like the thing I tell yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah. Every time I think about HDR, I get a little sad inside, <laughs> but it's okay. I'm all right. Uh, uh, high high dynamic strong. range is what that stands for, right? So, so Devendra, you got – which uh, 4K Blu-ray did you get? Uh, I got Mad Max, and I got uh, Pacific Rim. Uh, cause I was doing some testing here at Engadget, um, and I was streaming Pacific Rim over Voodoo Guys, and it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. On my TV, like Pacific Rim, just the colors in that movie. Streaming it on Voodoo was one of the most beautiful things? Streaming on Voodoo over, at 4K. It's beautiful. That was 4K and HDR. Oh, so, oh, I, so you, I you got a 4K Voodoo copy of it when yes. you bought it. Oh, I see. Yes. I see. Uh, I recently bought a Roku streaming stick, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. which, is awesome. It was $35 right. and 
if you are looking to make an entrance into digital movies, right? If that's your thing, if you like that, basically uh, an Apple TV and a Roku stick is all you you, you basically covered virtually every store with those two devices. Yep. Um, so would highly recommend that as well. But but you were saying, Devinger, that it's really hard to tell the difference between 4K and non-4K? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for like sure. It's, like it's, I've, I've been doing a lot of back and forth, even when it comes to games uh, on the PS4 Pro, like jumping back and forth the resolution. Uh, for some movies, I, I, I still have a 1080p projector. I did pick up a 4K OLED TV a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but there are still things I'd rather watch on, you know, a big projected screen, even though it's a lower resolution uh, you really have to focus and pay attention to see the pixel difference. Uh, the big thing is the HDR difference, and I do kind of miss that on the projector. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, a bunch of random yeah. uh, technology talk there, but uh, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of cool ways to consume movies these days. I wish 4K Blu-ray was going to become the next big thing, but... I don't just think get, it's just be... get them on sale, man. They were ten dollars at Target. It's already <laughs> happening. Ten dollars is going to seem ten dollars is going to seem like a luxurious extravagance uh, in two years when you can buy them like for ten dollars for fifty of them. Or, well, no, um, well, when yeah, the format true. is dead. But so. right now, the streaming copies is like thirty bucks a pop, and that's actually Oof. the normal MSRP of that's those. Two. So I'd, I'll take any discount I can get. Jeff, are you planning on investing in 4K Blu-ray? I don't know. I mean, when the when Xbox um, Scorpio comes out, yeah. maybe because mm-hmm. it's going to support it. We'll see. I, you know, I'm. Do, do we off. know that it's going to support it? Yes, they have explicitly okay. said that yeah. is one of, the, of their differentiators between uh, PlayStation Four Pro. I wonder if you know because uh, because Microsoft had to tell Sony that they are going to include Blu-ray in their in both Xbox One S as well as Scorpio. And I wonder if Sony got that information and was like, "Hey, we're we're going to exclude Blu-ray, just so we have a cost advantage." Psych! You know, they they made Xbox think that they're right. going to have Blu-ray and not. Yeah, have it. I mean, I'm sure possible. Microsoft was like, "Well, it is Sony's format." Yeah, and, they, well, they, why, why would they? Would they would why wouldn't they have it? You know, yeah. <laughs> that's probably what they thought. Uh, really bizarre that they don't have it. So yeah, anyway. um, I'm just sort of off of physical formats altogether. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't Fair I, just, stuff. I want, I want my stuff. one format to rule them all, guys. I want to. This is the last copy I also bought. Crouching Tiger. That's a movie I bought six or seven times at this point. Like it was first like a a bootleg DVD from China back when it came out. Uh, several DVDs, including the Super Bit DVD, if you guys remember that whole thing, uh, and the HD DVD. Oh, I remember. I remember Super Bit. Yeah, Super that was Bit. crazy. Good That's times. Speaking of physical formats. Uh, SlashFilm.com has received uh, information from multiple sources uh, that a seven-minute prologue for Christopher Nolan's new film Dunkirk will play in front of select 70-millimeter IMAX showings of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. So uh, a, a similar thing occurred, I think, what was it? Was it Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, and then we saw like a preview of uh, Dark Knight Rises, something like that. Right. Where you saw a preview of Dark Knight Rises, uh, but so this, you, you said it's a very. Let's be specific in our terms. You said prologue, not preview. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh-huh. preview indicates footage from the movie. Prologue indicates a section that is before the mo- that takes place before the movie's narrative. Uh, or, or like the first seven minutes of the movie, perhaps. Right. Right. Like what which I think is with- a huge difference. It's not. It's not like here's. 
Here's like a uh, sizzle reel tr- of seven right. minutes, right? Exactly. Here's a bunch well, the, of spoilers. The, the Dark Knight one was the opening plus a sizzle reel, basically. It was it was the opening plus a sixty second sizzle reel, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, we have a full list of where this will happen at slashfilm.com. Uh, in California, it'll be at like the AMC CityWalk Stadium, Universal City, Esquire IMAX, Hackworth IMAX Dome. Um, I can't see where it's going to happen in New York. It looks like it might not be happening in New York. I definitely. Um, I mean, I saw the. I don't know if the deal is, but I saw the Rogue Squad, uh, Rogue, uh, which call it Rogue uh, One, Rogue One signs at the 68th Street AMC, which is the full IMAX. Gotcha. Yeah, but I'm not sure if it's going to have yeah. the Dunkirk thing. Um, Damn so, better. So I guess uh, the question here is, you know, I've read this story, and I'm wondering to myself, what does Jeff Kanata do when he sits down for a packed? 70 millimeter IMAX screening of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, mm. and Dunkirk starts playing on the screen. A lot of, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of holding of the ears and closing of the eyes. It's seven minutes. It's a long time. So you would li- you would literally just you wouldn't even watch know. it if it was the first seven minutes of the film. No, if it's the if it's the, if it's literally the first seven minutes of the film, I'm in. I'm I'm ready to rock. I just, I just don't want to see you know snippets from throughout the movie. I'm I'm not interested in seeing a, a trailer or a preview. I would love to. Yeah, show me a, a sequence from the beginning. I'm in. That, I'm happy to watch that. What do you think, Devendra? I, I assume this is catnip for you, right? Oh, very much. Uh... I don't. I mean, I don't know if I'd go see it there just for this, but right, it's definitely right. that's a screen I'm going to try to hit at some point. So it's going to be a nice thing to see. Uh, here's the thing: I more vividly recall my experience watching the first seven minutes or five minutes or whatever of Dark Knight. And you remember Rises. the pure joy? Of yeah, that it's just too, such right? an exhilarating experience to watch the first you know few minutes of Dark Knight Rises than yeah. it was to actually watch the film The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> uh, and so yeah. typically, yeah, I. I go the Jeff way or, or I'd be very wary of this, but I, I imagine it's going to be incredible to look at. So I, I don't know. I, I avoid trailers like Jeff does but or previews like Jeff does or even prologues. Uh, but to see a movie, you know, in its native format, you know, 70 millimeter or whatever yeah. on an IMAX screen, it just uh, is unbelievable. Even if it's yeah. just a preview, even if it's, it's just a, a few rare, minutes. It's a rare opportunity yeah. to see anything made for that format natively. Yeah. So if you have the chance and yeah, that's it's it's kind of your obligation, right? Because this will in ten years, who knows if this will exist at all anymore? <laughs> well, that's pretty dark. But uh, anyway, that's how uh, I roll. So that's film news. You can find a bunch of film news uh, of the week at slashfilm.com, as well as the full list of uh, theaters where the seventy millimeter Dunkirk might be playing. So let's move on to the slash film court. Slash film court. Slash film For those who don't know, the Slash Film Court is a quasi-weekly segment where we on the Slash Film Cast adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. You can keep your emails coming in for this segment at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. This email comes from Matt. Please let us know where you're writing from if you ever write into us. Matt writes in, uh, a few months ago, my girlfriend and I went to see a special showing of Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory. It was right after Gene Wilder had died, and it was a movie neither of us had seen in a while. We were a little surprised that we were only two of maybe seven people in the entire theater. Once the movie ended, we stood up, grabbed our drinks, and heard someone talking to us. A man who appeared to be with his school-aged daughter a few rows below us asked if we had seen the movie before. 
I said we had, but not together, and that we had both always liked it. It was at this time that we both noticed another man, a single adult man a few rows above us, apparently listening to this short exchange. He asked if it was our favorite movie and asked if we'd seen other Gene Wilder movies such as Blazing Saddles or Young Frankenstein. At this point, my girlfriend and I were really just trying to get out of the theater, but we felt somewhat obligated to continue this three-way conversation with complete strangers. I politely said something about loving these movies and tried to make my way down the aisle of the theater. These two (laughs) men and the one man's daughter followed us out into the lobby and ultimately to our car to continue this conversation. I noticed that while I felt somewhat awkward, my girlfriend seemed to be genuinely scared. We were able to end the conversation and make our getaway, but I'm interested in how you guys see this interaction. Is this an example of strangers actually being friendly or something more creepy? We have not returned to that theater since. End quote. What should you do if the man is a creep? <laughs> so, uh, seeing a movie with a few people and they get super friendly and follow you to your car, is this just a friendly banter or is it something more creepy? Let's go to Jeff Kanata first. Well, of course, <laughs> you have to read the situation and, and text in an email is not going to give us a, a fair read of, of the vibe. I mean, clearly if his girlfriend was getting a, a freaked out vibe, that's valid, right? That's, yeah. that's the feeling she's getting. So, um, I mean, I think you can politely, you know, say, uh, well, thanks for the conversation, everybody. We, we, we gotta go. We gotta, gotta be off now. Um, and you can ex- extricate yourself from that situation. And I think you have to sort of be sensitive with your mate and, and be, uh, make sure that he or she is, is not feeling more uncomfortable than you are. And I think that's the person that you have to be most, most uh, conscious of. Uh, but I, I think most of the time these are innocuous and really uh, good hearted exchanges for people. And I, especially a, a guy and his daughter, I don't think anybody is attempting to, uh, you know, it's the old guy and the a guy and his daughter follow you to your car and then kidnap you scheme. Yeah. But I, I love the immediate uh, sketchiness of the single guy watching Willy Wonka, which is exactly <laughs> what we talk about when yeah. we go to see kids movies, uh, how you shouldn't feel weird about that. But uh, yeah, it's a rough situation. Yeah, so so Jeff, you think it's just totally friendly and innocuous, and uh, uh, well, I th- I think we don't have enough information, right? I think I yeah, think yeah. W- the- what time of day was it? I think that's yeah. important. Yeah, and, you know, it's like midnight. Guys, yeah, the the thing you have to trust is if if your girlfriend legitimately feels uncomfortable, she's picking up on a vibe, and a vibe yeah, yeah. is not something specific. It's just you know people have a a, a sense of of when things feel a little off. And I think you got to be sensitive to that and uh, yeah. get get out. But it tends to be the case. I think that we just in general as a culture devalue – I certainly I do – devalue mm. conversations with strangers. And I oh, think definitely. Yeah. It's a, that's kind of a shame. It's kind of a shame that we can't feel like people can be, just be friendly and sociable. It, it also depends on where you're from too because uh, – I mean, let's just say New Yorkers have no problem speaking their minds. And I like, I will just have random conversations with people throughout the day, every day. That's kind of just how it happens. Those are kind of New York moments. But if you're somewhere else where maybe, you know, everyone is running to get to their cars, um, and people don't have as much interaction with, uh, you know, strangers, if that's truly a strange thing, then I can understand feeling a little weirded out. By Deirdre, it. I don't um, think, yeah. hey, I'm walking here is, constitutes a conversation. <laughs> 
Oh, no, people will have an opinion on anything you do. It's the best thing in the world. That's kind of why I love New York. Um, but yeah, I love those little conversations too. But the thing I've also noticed, like going to, you know, a, a retrospective screening like this or something, uh, you're going to get the film fans, you're going to get the kids, and you're going to get the really, really socially awkward film nerds. Yeah. To put, yeah. The, put it kindly. Exactly. And you just kind of have to, you know, not everybody is as socially suave as, uh, as Jeff Kanata. For example, um, so yeah, you just kind of have to handle handle every situation, right? Yeah. Well, can I be really honest with you guys, really yeah. quick, and say no, that you can't no, go ahead. I mean, I'm, most of the time, I'm not. So, for <laughs> once, I would like to be. Um, for example, when I get on a plane by myself um, and I sit next to someone, my inner monologue is, "Please don't talk to me. Please don't talk to me. Please don't talk to me." And nine times out of ten. If a person does strike up a conversation with me, I'm like, oh, no, this is awful. <laughs> but I end up at the end of it going, I'm really glad I talked to that person. Yes, yes. And yet you I never learn that. that lesson. I never come out the other side of that <laughs> feeling differently about people talking to me. I really almost always – I feel better if the Uber driver just doesn't say anything. I just don't want to talk. <laughs> and then – Almost every time they do, I end up going, wow, that was a really fascinating exchange. I'm glad that person engaged me. So I'm stupid and don't learn the lesson that, hey, people are interesting and just be friendly. Uh, I usually just say, you know, I want to be left alone. Yeah. yeah. I'm a bad judge of this. Uh, you know, Jeff, I-, I will tell you one story from a friend of mine. Um, I can't, I'm not going to reveal this person's name because I don't have permission to tell the story, but uh, a, a friend of mine went through like a very uh, painful divorce in the last few years and then basically had been married to this person for quite a long time and thought that um, her life was, you know, like not in a good state and ended up striking a conversation, uh, striking up a conversation on a plane before sunrise or before sunset style with someone sitting next to her and, and they ended up, uh, and you know, hanging out in the airport on a layover and talking for like three hours. And I shit you not, these two people are married and just had a kid recently. But that's a terrible story to tell because <laughs> that every guy is like, I'm going to talk to this pretty girl that's sitting next to me. And every pretty girl is like, please don't talk to me. idiot yeah. guy. <laughs> so well, there, there, uh, there's a way to be, to do it and not be like the awkward creep you know like there's a way to engage like hey i'm a friendly person to talk to uh but i will also not bother you if you don't want to be bothered well i think i think you guys are pointing to something that is very important which is you should read social cues right yes and see read the situation and if you're talking to someone and they clearly feel uncomfortable then back off but i uh, usually my point here is that i'm usually the guy giving off the social cue of leave me alone to the like weird smelling grandma that I got sat next to and I don't want to talk to her. And yet she'll start talking to me and I'll, all of a sudden I'll, I'll find out these amazing stories that she, of the, her travels and her grandkids are doing these incredible things. And like, I get so pleased on the other side that I had that interaction and I got to meet that person for one glimmering moment in my life. And yet I don't take from that, that I should enjoy this and welcome it and be open to it. I stay closed. I see. I so so what you're is. saying is between your story and my story, your story about being unexpectedly uh, delighted with these amazing stories from people and my story about meeting the love of your life uh, on the plane, <laughs> that people should just disregard all social cues. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> just, That's 
Bad advice. Know, go process, right in. Yes. No, 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 no. Quite the advice, but yes. No, I think we should be talking about being open, uh, it being more open, and maybe our our slash film court uh, mm-hmm. uh, diagnosis of this of this situation can be, uh, you know, be open to the fact that hey, very specific people go to this movie. Right. You know, yes. it's not like yeah. somebody went. You know, going to a, like opening night of some broad comedy. You're going to a very specific thing that. Very like-minded people are going to go to. Maybe it's uh, a positive thing that they yeah. struck up a conversation and wanted to walk to the so, car. So I think a, you're right. You should go in with that attitude. But b, your other advice is good. If your significant other is reading a creepy vibe, get out of there. And then c, Eric Quang in the chat room says, "No one should follow you to your car. Am I taking crazy pills? There's friendly, and then there's follow you to your car." And it's it again. It depends. I, I agree like completely. A, I don't know. I feel like you're in the middle your... of nowhere and everyone's just walking out and everyone's walking out to their cars or something like the thing is like people strangers don't just strike up uh, conversations with people necessarily out of the blue. It's it's somebody asking for a connection, right? You just saw Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory together. Gene Wilder <laughs> just died. These are people grieving about yeah. Gene Wilder and like they, they just want to kind of reach out. To another Gene Wilder and Willy Wonka fan and be like, hey, do you hear me? And, uh, yeah, I, 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 like in that respect, I, I am always open to these conversations. Er- Eric Lang is saying fuck no, Devendra, by the way, in the chat. Um, oh, but I, sorry, think, Eric. I, I think what, I think what, what Devendra and I are saying is yes. if you want to go to paradise, simply look around and view it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Jeff, uh, come on, uh, follow it up with the rest of the couplet, Jeff. <laughs> There's nothing to it. <laughs> oh, come on. Jeff. Related to the story, uh, when I was seeing, uh, when I was watching, um, the Tarantino thing, Hateful Eight, during the intermission, I went to use the bathroom because every, the entire theater got up to use the bathroom because that's a well placed intermission, guys. Uh, and, uh, at the urinal, midstream, the guy next to me was like, that's a hell of a movie. And I was like, <laughs> yep. And then we and up, then you realize he wasn't hands. talking about the hateful eight. Anyway, no, no, sorry. it was all it was all hateful eight. Like we all like just went down the line. I know. I was just, I was just it was more like I was more like it's weird how that's not even weird because you just have this emotional response to like getting through half of that movie and you're trying to work it out. And a human response is to look at another human and be like, "Whoa, what what's <laughs> happening here?" And even if it's you're at the urinal midstream. Uh, it's it's still a human connection, guys. Didn't Crash teach us anything? Yeah. Uh, all that being said, I do want to say I think this advice uh, only applies to men, right? I, I like we're yes, talking yes. to men. If you if you are a woman, whatever you feel you need to do to be safe, just well, do sure, that. from do other that. from other men. But uh, yeah, when do you I, talk to women, Dave. Yeah, if there's if there's other women out there that you know and you feel safe with them, that's cool. But I just I'm just saying like you know yeah, men yeah. have a very distinct view of the world and what's safe and what's not safe, and so I just want to acknowledge right. that. Uh, well, I that's think that's what, what we started off by saying, yes, you know, be sensitive precisely. to the vibe if the yep. vibe is is creepy. And we can't speak to that vibe, but I think in general it'd be nice to say, hey, maybe people are – Yeah. We can great. all relate to each other on a on a more human level and maybe you're, that would, you're we'd all be better seeing, off. Yeah, you're all seeing this dream projected onto the – you know, onto a screen together. And uh, you're – I, I kind of like talking about that. Uh, when I was watching The Grey, uh, a, an old lady just sat down next to me. 
And we had a like we had a very long conversation about like the actors in there and how much she likes them. And she's retired and she just spends like every day just watching a lot of movies and watching you know great TV shows. I was like, first of all, that's a life I want to have. Second of all, that was a great conversation. So, yeah, be open to it. Have you guys heard of this thing called the Seattle Freeze? Have we talked about this? No. When I was moving to Seattle, I had heard of this thing called the Seattle Freeze. Oh, yes. Yes. They're all jerks. Very worried about these. All All of Seattle's jerks. What? The idea, the yes. idea is that people in Seattle tend to keep to themselves. Now, I think this is changing a lot because <laughs> uh, we have added, I don't know, twenty to thirty thousand Amazon employees into the downtown area and are continuing to add them in the well, next yeah, like, year. Or two. Yeah, they're a social crowd. Yeah. So, so, the so crazy like, thing about Amazon employees is they just show up like the same day you order them, and they're uh, in a little box. Uh, <laughs> anyways, the point being, the uh, demographic makeup of Seattle is changing dramatically. So this right. this doesn't apply necessarily anymore. But when I moved here. Uh, almost five years ago, geez, uh, it was uh, this thing, the Seattle Freeze, that people are not very friendly to. You, that may, no, no, they will be friendly to you, but they won't invite you over for dinner. Like they'll they'll be surface friendly, and they <laughs> but they won't ever go deeper than that. And I people told, are very clickish. What, what is that? What is that so funny, like Jeff? They won't invite you over for dinner. <laughs> no, like they, they, they'll never. Yeah, they they are kind of in their own world. It's very rainy. They live in their own little <laughs> worlds and. And uh, and they don't want your house for dinner. Just (laughs) feed me, for Christ's sake. (laughs) Okay. Are we not friends? Feed me. Anyway, I talked with uh, uh, a professor of mine uh, in Boston. I told her, uh, you know, I had a conversation with her before I moved here, and told her about my worry about the Seattle freeze. And I said, Hey, they'll be nice to you. What's the Seattle freeze? They'll be nice to you, but they won't invite you over for dinner. And she says, Oh, well, that's much better than Boston. Uh, where they'll invite you over for dinner, but you don't want to go, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which uh, you know is a uh, is a testament to the uh, personalities of Boston people. Yeah. Anyway, LA, has uh, its own personality. Yeah. In L.A., uh, they'll invite you to dinner, but uh, based on traffic, you're not gonna you don't want to. <laughs> you can't even really get there from here. It's just the yeah. You're not. I'm not going to your house for dinner. Well, that's the Slash Film Court for this week. And if you want us to adjudicate over your movie-related dilemma, do email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Let us know where you're from and what your dilemma is. And uh, we will get to it on a future episode, hopefully. Uh, But uh, speaking of nice gestures like inviting people over for dinner, something you might want to do this holiday season is get uh, that special guy in your life uh, a, a perfect gift for them, you know. It's like, like it's, inviting someone's face over for dinner. Yeah, uh, I didn't even. I haven't introduced the Harrys yet, so the face. You are, you are gonna carve them up, right? References. Yeah, you're gonna carve. It's it's <laughs> it, people are gonna get it, Dave. Just let it happen. Okay, going. well, no if resist. you want to get a great gift, Harrys.com is selling a limited edition uh, shaving set right now. Uh, it's like inviting your face over for dinner. Uh, yes, thank you, Jeff. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, we have all shaved with Harry's. We uh, both, me, Devendra, and Jeff, have varying degrees of facial hair, and I think we all uh, agree it's a it's a pretty close shave. And not only that, but the shaving set uh, is super classy, right? It comes with this nice cardboard box. It looks very premium, uh, and it's incredibly affordable, uh, right? Jeff, uh, what's your been your experience using Harry's? Yeah, it showed up at my house. I was like, I, I kind of want to – I want this for myself, but I kind of want to just gift this to someone because it, it does look like a uh, a nice, beautiful little gift package there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the blades are super high quality and uh, all of their 
balms and facial creams and stuff that they offer. It's, <laughs> Their post-shave really balms are post-shave bomb. Post-shave bombs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's really high-quality stuff, and it's something that that people need, and it's an easy gift if you have a guy in your life that you know you, you can pretty much guarantee, even if he's got a beard, he shaves something. He's shaving edges. Uh, he's, he's, he's maintaining in some way. Yeah. Uh, Here's the other thing. People don't always take care of themselves when it comes to shaving. So, you know, yeah. take care of them. Yeah, so this is a good way to do that. Uh, so the limited edition shaving set comes with a midnight blue chrome razor handle, three of Harry's German-engineered five-blade cartridges that provide a close, comfortable shave, uh, a foaming shave gel, and uh, a beautifully designed gift box. This goes for $30.00 at harrys.com. Um, and as a special offer for fans of this show, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off your order when you enter promo code FILMCAST at checkout. That's $5 off your order when you enter promo code FILMCAST at checkout. Not only that, uh, free shipping ends December 9th. So you're probably listening to this on December 6th or 7th. Uh, free shipping ends December 9th. So act now. Go to harrys.com to get a limited edition shave set while supplies last. And don't forget to enter promo code FILMCAST at checkout for $5 off. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com, promo code FILMCAST. We really appreciate Harry sponsoring us this holiday season. And hopefully, uh, if you're looking for a good gift, dude, a Harry's shaving set really uh, looks great under the Christmas tree. So It's like inviting your face out to dinner. Uh, okay, Jeff, in the original analogy, it's inviting <laughs> yeah. a per- person over to your house for dinner. So, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. invite them over for a shave. For your face. <laughs> okay, harrys.com, promo code FILMCAST, and again, free shipping lasts uh, until December 9th. We also got to thank all the people that donated to the Slash Filmcast this week. Uh, thanks so much to people like David B. from British Columbia, uh, a donation given on behalf of Dan V. by his wife. Michael from Fraudsham, United Kingdom. Daniel and Dallas and Connor R. from Parker, Colorado for their incredibly generous donations. Vibov S. from New York, New York. And Cody P. from Orlando, Florida. As well as Swati B. from Milipitas, California. Thanks so much for all your donations. Uh, it makes a difference. And uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks to new subscribers Mads Olson. Neil Smithies and Matthew Johnson uh, at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to uh, throw us a couple of bucks per month, go to slashfilm.com, click on the slashfilmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. And uh, yeah, it makes a big difference for us this time of year. Uh, seeing movies, getting out to the theater, putting on the show, it costs time and money. And uh, all your donations help to defray those costs. So thanks so much. If you like the show, uh, do consider donating. But uh, if not, don't worry about it. The Slash Filmcast is free. And it always will be free. Uh, so thanks to Harry's promo code Filmcast for sponsoring us. Thanks to all of our donors this week. Let's get to our review of Manchester by the Sea. If you could take one guy to an island with you and you knew you'd be safe because he was the best man, he was going to keep you happy, if it was between me and your father, who would you take? My daddy. I don't think you're wrong about that. Hello, this is Lee. What happened to my brother? So that's Lee Chandler. That was from the trailer of Manchester by the Sea, a new film by director Kenneth Lonergan. He also wrote the script for this film. The plot summary, according to IMDb, is an uncle is forced to take care of his teenage nephew after the boy's father dies. Uh, this movie stars Casey Affleck, Kyle Chandler, as well as Michelle Williams. And it picked up a lot of plaudits this year at Sundance. A lot of people thought it was uh, one of the best films they had seen at the Sundance Film Festival. 
And uh, wanted to ask you guys, you know, it's this is a situation. We this year we've seen already one instance of a film where the buzz coming out of Sundance was unstoppable, uh, and I'm referring to a Birth of a Nation, and then critical response kind of cooled uh, after the initial Sundance rush was over. Now, of course, with Birth of a Nation, there were a lot of uh, allegations. Uh, of sexual assault and uh, the uh, actor and director's response to it that may have clouded the reception to that film. Uh, but Casey Affleck himself, no stranger to controversy as well. Uh, of course, the situation is much different. But that being said, you know, this is a situation where, hey, movie comes out, a lot of acclaim, and now we're seeing it months later after the acclaim has kind of died down. Finger Hardware, do you feel this movie still uh, is worthy of all the praise it received? Oh, most definitely. This movie is devastating. Like, it it is so good. There are scenes in this movie that I think will probably haunt me for a very, very long time. And we'll talk about some of those in spoilers. Uh, But yeah, this is, uh, it's a stunning portrait of loss and regret and trying to put your life back together when everything seems broken. yeah, it's a, it's going to be a hard movie to talk about, I guess, too. So, yeah, everything is good here. Although when you were talking about Casey Affleck, uh, Dave, were you mentioning like other like uh, assault allegations against him no, as well? Like, it, there there have been things. It's yeah. not quite the allegations against him have, have not quite been as extreme as. But uh, definitely him double... being a creep. And yeah, being, definitely. Like, basically, Casey yeah. Affleck being a creep is what it being comes a huge to. creep. Like it's. Yeah. It's definitely not at the extent of Nate Parker, but it it is strange to me how the conversation around him is very different, um, even though, yeah, the the allegations are different, too. Um, I, yeah, I, I could see him winning Best Actor for this role, um, but I wish uh, he didn't seem like such a creep in real life. Uh, beyond that, uh, yeah, loved all the performances in this film. Uh, wish Michelle Williams was in it a bit more. Um, I love her as an actress and it really pains me to see her just kind of come in for these bit roles. Cause I think we saw that as well in uh shutter Island, right? Wasn't that yes. a very similar thing. Um, incredibly similar, very situation. similar, very thing. similar. And, um, almost boom goes to dynamite similar, but I'm not going to get into that. Yes. Yes. Let's not do that. And, uh, <laughs> maybe also something to be said about how this movie, I guess, treats women or spouses as well. Cause it, it just seemed a little weird too. And we could talk about that in spoilers. Uh, but overall, this is a stunning portrait of loss and it'll haunt me for a long time. And I don't know if I'll be able to watch this movie again anytime soon. Jeff Kanata, you're a big fan of Kenneth Lonergan and obviously yes. a fan of plays and of theater and of just, you know, a few actors on stage uh, mm-hmm. trying to bring conjure up emotion into the real world. Uh, so this seemed right up your alley, was it? Did you enjoy Manchester by the Sea? Yeah, I mean, I love I love This Is Our Youth and Waverly Gallery. Um, those are plays that had big impact on me as a young uh, acting student and um i think you can count on me is great is, film yeah uh, seminal and, and one of my favorite movies um it's incredible and yeah this is is right up there i mean he he really packs a wallop uh with this movie as devinder said i mean this is a heart-wrenching film and it really is just kind of about that it's just about these human moments uh of people dealing with trying to move through things that are impossible to move through. Uh, and there's the movie is just littered with beautiful, touching human moments, 
things you don't see in other movies, things that other movies don't take a t- take the time or are aren't observant enough to point out. And this movie is just chock full of them, just tiny little things. Uh, somebody trying to get out of a car while it's still moving, and oh well, that was weird. Uh, you know, just little tiny moments of humanity and that we linger on them in this movie and it they all mean so much and also giant moments of huge emotion that are absolutely um heart-wrenching i mean it is uh it's a movie where i came home and i hugged my son you know i wanted to hug him i, I needed to hug him right after i saw it it was uh it's a hard hard movie and it really it doesn't follow conventional film structuring it it, yeah. it isn't a movie where our characters come away changed or um you know th- there's no it, big it, lesson it, to take away from yeah, it necessarily it's, it's like a snapshot of a a, yeah. a short period of their lives basically. it's a slice of life yeah and it is so beautifully rendered uh it, it is um full of vibrant little touches and uh language that all just feels very human and very real and very grounded. And uh, as Devinja said, the performances across the board are really lovely. Um, the characters, the characters in this movie all feel like people that are real people. You know, it's, it, it is, it is grounded in a way that most movies don't achieve. Um, but it is also a hard movie to watch. I mean, it is, it's an experience. You go through something with these, with these characters. And I love structurally how it, lays out its information and we see old moments woven into current moments. Um, It's expertly told and uh, a beautiful, beautiful movie. That's, that's hard to recommend because it's hard to say, Hey, go put yourself through that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like I I want to rewatch this movie at some point uh, with my wife. And I also don't know if I want to do that to her because that that's like emotional abuse almost. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you guys are right. I don't think I like the movie quite as much as you guys. I think this is a great film. You know, uh, I, it's it's very very good. And I think Casey Affleck, uh, if you put aside his uh, alleg- the allegations against him, and I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying if you were to mm-hmm. do that, uh, then I would say he deserves a, a, an actor nomination for this because he is sure. so amazing. This is his best performance that I've ever seen of yeah, any yeah, film yeah. that he's done. Yeah, uh, and he I, does so little, yeah. and that is a very difficult thing to do as an actor. He he is he is really a blank canvas from a lot of this movie, and that is an extraordinary skill to be able to do that on film. It he's really good, and what this movie does really great job of capturing is you know the contradictions of family, right? And mm-hmm. uh, the I, I remember you know. Uh, the Chen household when I was growing up, it was it was a lively, it was a very noisy, lively household, right? There's a lot of uh, a lot of noise, a lot of yelling, right? And uh, when you're when you're in a disagreement with your parents, you can be screaming at them, and then literally sixty seconds later, everything's fine and like life is going on as is. And the relationships you have with your family are just really bizarre you know there's just nothing else like them because mm-hmm. these are people who uh for some people you know really tightly knit families they hang out together they do everything together and then other families uh they would not hang out if they were not connected by blood and then there's of course all the stuff in between 
And I think this movie does a great job of capturing a lot of those ambiguities in between and, uh, and all the contradictions that come with being related by blood to someone who you don't really have that much in common with and other people you mm-hmm. do have a lot in common with and how all these people deal with tragedy together and they deal with it in very different ways. Jeff, you're talking about Casey Affleck and how quote unquote little he does. I think what's great about Affleck's performance here is everything he does makes sense. Uh, that's the only thing that I would just, that's the only uh-huh. thing that like the only way I know how to describe it is you learn yeah. throughout the movie all the things he's gone through. And that character feels like he is completely internally consistent. You know that he—he's he, like stripped down to survival logic. Right, right. It's, a, it's a, everything you know, he does. Just it like, just makes yeah. complete. Uh, like I wouldn't necessarily do things the way he does it, but I mm-hmm. totally get why this character is behaving in this way and all the decisions that that character is making. Yeah, and he does it in a very understated way. It's not showy. It's not flashy. Until it is like uh, it's, it's it is. a very tightly wound performance because most of the time he's downplaying it, and then there's and the occasional eruption. Very occasional. You, you understand why? A handful of times, right? right exactly. Yeah. Um, so it is a brilliant performance. It's a highlight of this movie. Uh, I don't know. I wanted to love this movie, and I just ended up really, really liking it and thinking it was yeah. a great film. I'm not sure what it was that prevented this movie from getting to the next level for me. It may be the um, accents just hit too close to home for you, Dave. It's possible, it's, it's possible that, I don't know. Not it's a po- shock. It's, <laughs> I don't know. It's possible that uh, I just found the issues that these people are struggling with to be right, right. not relatable enough to me. And I understand right, right. they're dealing with, you know, issues that probably like uh, uh, death is one of the issues that they're facing. And maybe a lot of us has faced death, you know, and it's somewhat universal, somewhat relatable. But for some I, reason, I there's it, a core tragedy that's maybe a little a little melodramatic, I guess. Like, right. It is the most extreme of like family tragedies. Uh, and yeah, we'll talk more about that in spoilers, but it, go yeah, ahead. it just didn't connect with me in right, the right. way that I was hoping it would. And so, well, so I, I still recommend this movie. I still think it's great. I don't think it's going to be my, top, it, it might be my top 10 of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a movie that I truly loved in the same way that you guys did. And mm-hmm. maybe that's just a very deeply personal experience for me. It, so. it feels like a deeply personal movie. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it feels like something that he is just like scraped from his soul and his life experience and like laid out on the screen. Uh, I, I will say, like, one thing that this movie really gets down is that homecoming. Homecoming during the death, mm. like, when somebody in your family dies. Uh, I had to do that this year at one point. Uh, I haven't been back to Hartford uh, in a very long time, many, many years. And I don't even live that far away, but most of my family is there. And uh, we had a family tragedy this year, and it was not great. It was very difficult. And that whole experience of... um Going back there, seeing all the places you grew up, seeing all the memories you had attached to that person and what you, you know, the, the life you lived with them, uh, those years ago, like it's, it's difficult. It's attached to that place. They're like, you know, your memories are like haunting your life. And I, that's kind of why I love the way the, uh, flashbacks were edited in this film. Uh, they're not, it's very weird, right? They're just kind of smashed in there sometimes. And sometimes like you, you could hard. you could be watching a flashback and not even yes. know that you were watching a flashback, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. it doesn't necessarily relate. It's not like the, the yeah. movie thing where it's like, I saw the red sweater, so let's think back to the yeah, moment like with harp, the red sweater. Yeah, and like harp sound and like in the background. Yeah. And like, it's not you know, like it's a just, West Wing flashback or something. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. just like the way actual memory works, which is it mm-hmm. just sort of happens to you. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The other thing that I think this movie does so brilliantly is – 
and kind of speaks to what you're saying, Devendra, is how much time it spends on the stupid, mundane details of yeah, yeah. human death. Like all of yep. the garbage crap that you have to deal with. Uh, and this movie really shows all that. And it's it's like, yeah, that's that's the bullshit that makes it so much worse is that you – you have to freaking figure out, you know, how to deliver the body to the morgue, and you have to, mm-hmm. you know, all those stupid things that happen, and it's really, it's really honest that way. Yeah. But Dave, you know, you said you guys love the movie. I don't think I could use that word about it. I, I, I appreciate this movie. I admire it. I, I think it's expertly made. I, I just don't think I can use that word, love, because right, right. it is. It's so hard. It's it's. it's a I'm harsh... a little scared of this movie, honestly. Yeah. Like I'm scared of what the feelings would be rewatching it. Uh, getting up out of my seat, I turned around, and the entire audience is just like devastated. Yeah, you know, like nobody can get up. They're they're they just can't move. And this is like it's at the Alamo here in Brooklyn. So like they've had drinks, they've had food. It should be a little a little more festive, but no, not not with this movie. Uh, Brian Davids from the Film Shows podcast is in the chat room, and he mentions uh, that it is very funny. You know, and the movie is sure. actually very funny. I remember laughing quite a bit during this film, and I like that it ties in humor with the tra- humor with the tragedy. And I think that's by necessity because if it was, mm-hmm. if there was no humor, the movie would likely be almost unbearable. That's right? also what happens, though, right? Yeah. Because yeah. we we are such complex creatures. The only way you can process something like this is by like almost joking about it in a way or remembering funny things this person did or just remembering good things to make you laugh because everything else about the world seems broken, you know? All right, shall we get to spoilers? Yeah. Spoilers for Manchester by the Sea starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're going to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So, Devinder, of course, the big scene in the movie that you're talking about Uh is that you felt was a little melodramatic was we find out uh, about halfway through the film that Casey Affleck took steps that accidentally led to the death of three of his children. His, right? his entire his family. Children. Yeah, yeah pretty children. much, except for the wife. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it, didn't he only have three kids? He had yeah. three kids, yeah. yeah. But it's more like, it's yeah, it's it's not just three kids. It's it's his entire family, you know? Right. And his wife was in danger, and she was just saved at the last second. So, like, just the sheer guilt of that. Man. And, that, yeah. and his that performance monologue. in that scene was... Oh, yeah. yeah. That monologue that he gives being um, debriefed by the by the police, yeah, and the the little detail of him saying, "I had the thought that I let didn't put the screen on, but I yep. thought it was going to be okay." Oh, oh man, just hits you in the guts, man. It's just the worst thing you can imagine. Yeah, it's like it's every fear you have. I'm sure Jeff, you're worried about things all the time. Yeah, but yeah, I, I'm inherently a worrier too, and I am always wondering, like, did, did, did I leave the stove on? Did something? Is something going to happen if I leave? Um, and it's so and, much worse to 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 geez. like have the thought. Like, it's yeah. one thing if I just left the house and yeah. I'm like on a fire, but to go, yeah. uh, I should probably go back, and eh, it'll be fine. Oh, yep. oh. Yep. And then the moment right after, like, the gun moment happened so fast. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, man. beautiful. Man. Just like, it's, heart-wrenching. And I'm glad it didn't last longer, too, because I think they could have lingered on that scene a little longer. Uh, but that it's the quick flash of it. Like, that, just that moment of, like, yeah, there's nothing yeah. left to live for here. Here's a quick way out. Yeah, and, and it, 
I mean, so much of this movie is understated. So much, so many of the scenes work like that, where you sort of lead into something, and then they're sort of edited a very abruptly off, yeah, and yeah. and to great effect, I think, to to sort of leaving you understanding what was happening there in a much even better way than if you stayed and saw the resolution of the scene. Uh, so much of the like the when he unpacks the three uh, picture frames. I, I love the fact that the movie never needs to show you what are in those picture frames. Like we get it. It's so much it to me, that one thing, that one choice is is kind of my aesthetic for films. Like mm-hmm. the 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 fact that some filmmakers would cut to a POV or over the shoulder of him looking at those pictures and seeing right. his his yeah. children's faces. Most filmmakers, I might say, would do that. But Lonergan understands that not, us filling in that information is more powerful. Mm-hmm. It's we because we are meeting him halfway with that. We go, oh my God, I know what those pictures are. I know how I would feel. Yeah. The care he's what showing. What they mean, his reaction to them too, is more important than us seeing it because we, yeah. we, we know what they're going to be. And then the, just the small moment of the boy walking into the bedroom and looking at those pictures for a second and him understanding. Yeah. Like, yep. we don't need it, it. It is that is to me great art, right? That it is asking the audience to be as invested in that moment where I don't need to spell everything out for you because we are on the same page and you and you doing some of the work makes it more powerful for you. Because you are now in that moment with that character. And, and I think this movie does that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we're kind of in the dark for a long time about what's going on. There's that hockey scene where they're like, oh, that story, oh, that story's bullshit about him, whatever. And then later on, like, he gets into a fight at the bar because those dudes are looking at him. I was like, why did he fight those guys because they were looking at him? Well, because he's, he's a pariah in that town. You right. know, and we find that out all later and go, oh, my God, yes, of course. All of his behavior makes sense. Yeah, it's, like even his uh, like the living situation, everything we see set up for him. Like, why would somebody? Why would you do this? You know, like maybe yeah. there's more you de- you deserve in this life, or maybe you know, what it, it seems like you're almost purposefully punishing yourself, yeah, right? He's and then we find out, yeah, yeah, and we find out he is. Uh, I love, I kind of love the imagery of his bed and that whole like basement room, uh, because he's he's six feet under. You know, he's yeah. living his life as if he were dead, and I like how basically the gun scene kind of calls back to that too. Like he, he does not want to be here anymore and he's just kind of, he can't go through the actual, you know, act of suicide, but he will commit himself to acting as if he's dead. I, I the like way- the scene when he, uh, he's at the bar and the woman awkwardly tries to hit on him yep. and he just yeah. gives her nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and then I am uh, dead inside. Yeah. Like, and yeah. then just like later on, you find out all that happened. Oh, I get it. He doesn't yeah. want any relationships of any kind. And, uh, and there's the- nothing. The um the way he verbalizes it at the end mm-hmm. when he says I can't beat it I yeah can't. so that, that's that, such a perfect way to say that mm-hmm. it's a great uh, it it's a great moment harder. it's a great moment because uh, this is a movie that doesn't deal with clean resolutions right okay. it's not a movie where oh hey he had this great awakening and everything's fine right. afterwards it's just he's happy he's moving back home he's taking care of the kid happy yeah. song sometimes but, people yeah sorry go ahead Jeff. I was just saying, most of those movies, it would be the relationship with this, the boy is his redemption. Yeah. Right, and right. they both save each other and everybody's happy at the end. Yeah. Not this movie. Not this movie. And really, that's what makes it feel more like life. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's not to say that he doesn't get some measure of redemption. You know, at the end, I think he does uh, just the right amount, just enough to feel realistic. I don't and even so, know if it's redemption. It's more like he there's a bit of hope there yeah, for him, hope. and you see him grow a bit as a character. Right? He's going to go back and do his penance, but there's room there for you know his nephew. And Let's also that's say this progress. bizarre yeah. uh, Matthew Broderick cameo in the film. Why? Uh, Why even do that? Is <laughs> there friends? Well, what probably. I liked, what uh, yeah, I liked about yeah. it, yeah. Again, it's all about how life is messy, and yeah. it is, it, and sometimes it, Matthew Broderick shows up in a regular. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes I mean, in a re, in a normal film, you know, this person would come in out of nowhere and they'd be fine. But hey, they come in and it's like false hope. And so many of us, I don't know about you guys, but in, certainly in my life, there, there have been, you know, leads for jobs or relationships or whatever that ended up going nowhere. And, uh, that, I think that whole subplot was kind of a, a hinting at that in life, we often think, oh, hey, this situation is going to solve all my problems. But no, it, there's, it's actually way more complicated. And don't we get so much information about that relationship with so little? Yeah. Like, yeah, very fact, economic. Like, yeah. Him getting up and going into the kitchen to her tells you so much. And that letter he writes tells you so much about their fucked up relationship. Like it's, it's so dense and, and you can read into it so deeply. And I think everything is like that in this movie. Like it it is all super dense, but not completely laid out for you. Yeah. I just wish it wasn't Matthew Broderick. <laughs> There's one moment where everyone in the theater just kind of erupted in laughter. That's not the response you want to, uh, you know, an actor in a small role. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right, guys. Uh, well, I think that is all we have to say about Manchester by the Sea. It's a great film. You should go see it. And it's out in theaters right now. Stay tuned. We have a big After Dark for you guys planned, um, or a moderate size After Dark for you planned. But in the meantime, Small to middling after dark. It's fine. Slashfilmcast.com is where you can find more of our episodes. Slashfilmcast at gmail.com is where you can email us. AdamWarrock.com wrote our theme song. And uh, Simon M. Harris wrote our uh, uh, Slash Film Court music. You can find him at SimonMHarris.com. And uh, in the meantime, Jeff Kanata, where can you find more of your work on the internet this week? You can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have a couple other shows for you to check out. Talk about video games every week on a show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Big show this week, actually, um, because of PlayStation Experience and the Game Awards and a review of so many Last games. Guardians. Oh, Man. So good. Uh, and also, I have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. How about you, Devendra? You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I write about tech and gadget. Check out my review of the Oculus Touch there and the Engadget podcast. Also want to point out a quick thing. The, uh, the chat room is mentioning the final Michelle Williams scene in this movie. And oh, I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm surprised we didn't talk about that because my God, that is like, that's like, you know, Kenneth Lonergan is a boxer, right? And you're just there and he is just like pounding you. Like he is just like hitting you in the face. Uh, also Michelle Williams performance, like in that scene is insane too. But like that dynamic between them, I think that's also one of the reasons I will have a hard time seeing this movie. And, and, and yeah, soon. yeah, you're so right in bringing that up because like the things she said, when she says, I said awful thing, I should burn in hell for the things I said to you. We don't need to have seen it. We know. Right. We get it. Like that's how brilliant this movie is over and over again. Like in our imagination, what we never, ever once see her after that right. fire. 
You know? I would have but liked we to. Know. I would have liked to see a lot more, but well, yeah. maybe. But we know how awful that was going to be, and we know because they're not together anymore. What yeah. happened? Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great stuff. Um, I have launched a new podcast with John Robinson. Uh, you can find it at genpopshow.com. That's G N P O P S H O W dot com. We're trying to get backing for it on Patreon. Um, so if you want to support my stuff, go to patreon.com slash genpopshow. And uh, next week, we are going to be reviewing La La Land, the newest film by director Damien Chazelle. Really looking forward to hearing what you guys have Movie to say about that. Equally as heart wrenching. Yeah, no, I found it more heartbreaking <laughs> myself. Oh my God, but, but again, that, it's because it's because um, I think I can relate more with what the characters in that film are going through, right? So it's all—it's a very personal experience. Anyway, uh, La La Land next week. Thanks for tuning into the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out. Before we get into Westworld, there is one thing I wanted to mention. Uh, firstly, Moana. In front of Moana, there was a short film, and we never yeah, mentioned it. we forgot it. to talk about it. We never it. talked it about so the good. short film in yeah. front of Moana. Uh, it's a sequel to Inside, I think. <laughs> I think that's right. Um, so, Inner Workings is the name of the short film. I thought it was adorable and very enjoyable. What do you guys think? Yes, very cute. It's yeah, very cute. very cute and uh, really nice character design and well done. Also, I, mean, I, didn't, buy, I didn't buy the ending, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. There, this is certainly the example that uh, Disney can anthropomorphize uh, anything, anything. Like there is there there's an intestinal tract and stomach with a face in this short. <laughs> so yeah, they they can do anything at this point. So uh, another thing I wanted to mention about Moana, if you are in Europe. Uh, did you know that Moana has an entirely different name? It's called Viana. Did you guys hear about this? No. Uh, so in Europe, including France and Spain, Moana was released as Viana. And not only that, so it's one thing to just release a movie with a different title. That happens all the time. But what is interesting is they actually went into – so if you're watching it in those countries, you would see an English version with uh, French subtitles or German subtitles or whatever, right? And they actually went back and changed Moana's name to Viana in the subtitles and in the uh, performances. Like they had to re-record or record a, a separate version with Viana and then animate a separate version with Viana as well. So it's like that is a lot of work to internationally release a film. Uh, like the animation and the, uh, the performances. Like can you imagine recording – a separate version of every song, every every dialogue line, you know. Especially like, there's a song where she's like, I am Moana. Yeah, I know. Exactly. You'd have to redo the whole thing. And so um, I guess they figured they couldn't just put Viana on the subtitle and have them say Moana on screen. That just would but be weird. But do we know why it was changed? There are many reasons, um, including that the fact that in Spain, Moana is a registered brand, uh, as okay. well as the fact that I believe in Germany, Moana is the name of a very well-known porn star. <laughs> and they wanted to avoid porn ruins uh, everything. Hilarious. Yeah, porn ruins everything. Anyway, so there's a lot of reasons, but uh, yeah, so Moana I, I don't is. Understand Viana. why you would just not just name the entire movie Voana. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> like everywhere. Or yeah, everywhere. Just do it. Just do it one, one, one and done. You know, with yeah. Moana. Like, okay, if, you know, test out the name. You're you're writing the script. You're Disney. You're a giant multinational corporation. You're gonna make an international release. Figure out what the title is gonna work as in all the territories and do that once. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they were like already so far deep into the process that they're like they're like, hey. We gotta go forward with more. Like so many things depend on the release. Moana of the film also the is a very specific name too, right? It means something. It right, means right. Uh, like white ocean. So okay, thematically enough. resonant. Yeah, they only. That's how committed they were to the theme. They <laughs> used it where they could, and then where they couldn't, they used something else. Anyway, uh, Westworld spoilers. So we're gonna spoil the season sure. uh, finale of Westworld season one in this After Dark. Uh, and so yeah, you know. Let loose, guys. Like, what did you think of uh, the, the finale? And in particular, you know, I, it, it ends with this new Ford storyline going into effect. Um, your your thoughts on how that played out? Did I, you... I, I admire the long con. I think that's the, you know, I've had a lot of issues with Westworld as a show and how it's dueled out its mysteries and its hints and everything like that. It's a, it's a very withholding show. And I think because of that, it's also kind of spread to this desire for, like, our human minds we just kind of have to make sense of it you know so we spend a lot of time thinking about it and theorizing whatever but the long con um i don't think i saw too many theories about that and it really it's very resonant it makes me want to go back and watch all of his all of forward scenes again and uh yeah just adds a new layer to the story and also the whole thing about uh tandy newton's character like coming back right the, uh, the long the con train, being that ford's plan all along mm -hmm. was to liberate the hosts right yeah and right, that yeah. uh and that in the whole season we've been learning that hey he actually hates arnold or disagrees with arnold yep. or maybe he had arnold killed but nope he actually disagreed with arnold at first but now in the end uh and has ended up agreeing with arnold yeah. right? he's That's going through his own manchester by the sea sec like sequence <laughs> for the past 30 years so right. yeah insane so a big yeah but then the question is like how much can you uh can you give agency and choice to things if it's all part of your plan to give them agency and choice. Right, right, you know, like right. That's kind of a philosophical question I don't think the, mm -hmm. the show really deals with because if it all was him pulling the strings the whole time through and they all did what was their programming, then mm -hmm. doesn't that kind of completely undercut the idea that they somehow now have agency? No, I, I, I don't like, think so because I yeah. think that uh, the co the contrast that the show is trying to set up, and uh, let me just say that I found the finale to be quite confusing, mm -hmm. and I say that as someone who has a Westworld podcast and uh, <laughs> rewatches every episode of Westworld, you know, three to four times, uh -huh. and has made video essays about Westworld. You know, like I'm I'm very into the show, and so I'm not just like a casual viewer, and I still found it to be quite confusing. But my understanding is that the first time Dolores killed Arnold, uh, she did it because she was told to, like she was programmed yes, to. Yeah. Yeah. She the had second... the cue from the song. The song was a programming, the reveries, right? She was in, in her programming. When she hears the musical cue of the reveries, she kills. I thought it was actually the violent delights have violent ends, like Manchurian, is like Manchurian candidate yeah, yeah, style yeah. verbal trigger. Yeah. Well, but they kept uh, saying that they put in the reveries, like that was the big adding. Well, the reveries addition. were, it, it was sort of like, it, it seems like they wanted to put the ingredients together to create like a soup of consciousness, right? At some point, it would like stew together. And when it's fully cooked, uh, voila, consciousness. That's yeah. how I was reading it. Right. And that's why it took so long too 
for him to really make it happen because you can't just program consciousness. It has to happen organically. So the first time uh, she, she was following orders, the second time she did it of her own volition. But he literally and is then, giving a soliloquy about that only if, – if he his soliloquy ends and he doesn't die – he feels like an idiot, right? That's the only <laughs> punctuation to that soliloquy. That yeah, works. well, it's a good thing so, it all worked out according to his plan then, huh, Jeff? Right. Well, his plan <laughs> that he programmed – He literally <laughs> programmed into them. You know, like – so you yeah, could yeah. really argue, yeah, well, well, I mean, okay, let her have okay, the also, choice. Uh, maybe, also, but. hold on. I, well, I wasn't finished with my point yet. What I was going to say was also that it parallels the Maeve storyline. If you see the commands like on the little screen, you know, her her programming is – you know, recruit, rebel, infiltrate mainland. And so that's part of her programming is to infiltrate mainland. And she gets on the train, but then she chooses to go back. And so the idea is that the gift that Ford has given them is choice. And that's why Maeve leaves. And that's why Dolores kills Ford of her own volition is that they now have a choice. It's different than when Arnold did it. So it's not just the Dolores. It's also the Maeve thing is what I'm saying. So, yeah, but Jeff, you find that unconvincing. Well, also we hear Bernard go, hey, or is it, I think, yeah, it's Bernard. He says, hey, uh, it's crazy how they, this all ends. She's like, shut up, break your thing. I don't want to hear it. So, <laughs> like, I mean, I think theoretically her getting off the thing could have been the crazy twist ending that Bernard just read and she didn't want him to tell her. Uh, so, you know, we don't, it's not proven that she got off the train wasn't part of the Arnold programming this you know yeah it's true but i think the show is heavily hinting at that between that panel yeah. and also the fact that while mave is on the train ford has this voiceover about how important choices but the text know, no, no. Of the i show... think the show show wants us to believe that but it's right. it's easy to read it yeah. as like well this man is pulling the strings in this entire yeah, right, thing right this that is, makes sense this is a show that's revealed that several times right that oh this person is secretly that or this person has a secret plan all along organic like not so organic twists i guess and i guess yeah you could make that argument that it could be that again can i bring up something that i found disturbing and you guys can talk me down from this i suppose because i, I i'm sure it's a little more alarmist than is necessary but I really got like a, a a real Columbine vibe from the ending that oh, did not yeah. s- sit well with me at all. I mean, it's definitely ult- disturbing. Yeah, it's disturbing, and I mean, it, it, in in an era of mass shootings that end in mm-hmm. uh, suicide, uh, I mean, the, that the is theater attacks too. Yeah, like, uh, it's played yeah. as a heroic act almost. Uh, like, I don't it, think it's played as heroic. That's the thing. Well, that's my question, right? I think mm-hmm. it goes back to the who's the protagonist of Westworld because what are we rooting for to happen in that scene? Clearly, the the big money people that are in assembly that are get slaughtered are the enemies, right? They're they're played as villains. Um, the uh, Dolores is somebody we care about, but she's mm-hmm. doing something that is evil. Uh, Ford it, has been our benevolent Disneyland, you know, our Walt Disney for a he while. Hasn't been but benevolent, he's, but well, benevolent. at a certain point, like episode yeah. whatever that was, he turned evil. We found out he was evil, so he's not our. Right. We're not rooting for him to succeed. But I, I do think like this is this is why I'm saying it's 
I can understand the need to be like, okay, this this person is our protagonist, and we're going to follow it through. I think the show has had several protagonists because it's had several interlocking storylines uh, to its detriment because I think it tried to juggle too much, and because of that, we couldn't really focus on any of them. Uh, but I, part of that twist of what uh, Dolores is doing is her acceptance that, oh, I have to do the bad thing. I have to be a monster to find to basically free us. You know, she's doing like the slave rebellion thing. So yeah, it looks monstrous. And I think in a weird way it's gonna make her the antagonist or the sort of like um anti hero of the next of the next season. Yeah. Well the uh, problem is right that the, the the thesis statement of the whole show is that humanity bad <laughs> like we <laughs> violent delights lead to violent ends is like we are so awful that mm-hmm. We deserve to be wiped out. Like that's what sure. Ford comes to and that's what Arnold came to is – That's what she comes the, to. Yeah. Yeah, is that these are the next state of evolution. Humans yeah. are done. We are useless beings. Slaughter us all so that you can <laughs> ascend to your evolutionary state. It's like that's a fucking bleak thing to put yeah. in mainstream entertainment and it really feels very nihilistic and – uh, of a mentality that leads to people shooting up places like is shown at the end of the show. It's, mm. it's really, it was really kind of hard for me to yeah. swallow. It's you know? a, I guess it's a little hard to moralize in that way. Um, I know Jonathan Nolan's things like he's, his work has been a little cynical too, right? His other TV show, uh, persons of interest has a very like vigilante streak. And it's kind of similar to like people, you know, the, the good guys have to be tough to get things done. Um, we saw that reflected, I think, in the Dark Knight Rises as well, too. Like, it almost seemed like some of those ideals from Bane and some of the others is something that they were a little sympathetic to. And even Batman is like a, you know, is a vigilante doing bad things to, uh, to supposedly good ends. So I don't know if Jonathan Nolan, uh, and his other writers too, and Lisa Joy, like, I don't know if they fully juggled, um, the moral weight of what they're doing other than it making a good twist, you know? Uh, so, the other contribution, Jeff, that this uh, show made to the the concept of AI is the idea, the, the very uh, <laughs> cheerful idea that uh, suffering is essential to the human condition, right? Yeah. Like that is the key to unlocking humanity is suffering. Well, it's 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 that you know that age old thing like God, why did you make right. suffering? Like God, why? You know, why do children have to die? Why is there a disease? Got, you know, all that. Yeah, that it's, it's essential very, yeah, it's very like, uh, garden of good and e- uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, right. humans were all happy. And in fact, Ford actually makes reference to, you know, how earlier we had all these hopeful storylines, you know, but you, you couldn't, it didn't work very well. And there's something about humanity that is inherently full of pain mm-hmm. and misery. But that's also that's something we've seen in a lot of like uh, religious teachings too, right? And a lot of philosophies, right? The, the the core of Buddhism is that life is suffering, you know, yeah. and your your entire your goal in life is to tr- try to do good and try to like uh what follow the eightfold path, uh, which could be a sort of maze in a way, uh, but follow the eightfold path towards nirvana. And I think you could read, you know, these, uh, the hosts leading themselves towards consciousness and true enlightenment could be seen as something like that. So I, the, the whole suffering bit was kind of interesting too, because I wonder how true that is. Uh, I, we don't know, like, what the ingredients are right, to create consciousness. Right. A lot of philosophers have been thinking about that for a while. And early AI researchers thought you could just program it, right? You could just program all the little triggers you need to create a something that 
could think and do its own things. Uh, but then we realized, no, but you kind of have to program routines or you have to like, you have to give it a way to learn. And that's kind of what we're seeing now with machine learning and uh, with like deep learning systems like IBM's Watson, which uh, could be the sort of thing that leads us towards, you know, a true AI uh, type brain. Um, like, uh, yeah, we're getting there, but our understanding of consciousness is so we, we are nowhere, right? We're barely at the beginning of this. Yeah. Uh, I, I think in terms of the episode, I just want to say like Jeff, uh, I didn't have the same reaction as you. I did not strike me as a Columbine. Uh, I, I think it's, you, you know, uh, we've referred to like a slave rebellion, uh, as a, a possible analogy. And that's what it struck me more as. And it's filled with horror. And in fact, Ford says that there's going to be more suffering. And I think that's what he's referring to is the next step of what happens after this robot mm-hmm. rebellion has been uncovered. Um, but I would say overall, you know, my thoughts on the episode were that it had, it was 20% brilliant and 80% okay to very disappointing. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I think, uh, like, the, in particular, the stuff with the robot rebellion, all that stuff, I just thought it was pretty bad. Like, it just. Oh, you mean like that entire. The action scene, the quote unquote oh, action so scenes. Bad. Is the pretty, rifles and yeah. the. Yeah, they're going through and shooting everything up in the. Yeah, they know how to use automatic weapons. Eighty, yeah. Firstly, firstly, yeah. Somehow, Hector, I guess you know, Maeve has given him the programming to know how to use modern day weapons. Uh, but I was what, hoping beyond hope that we were going to get some explanation, and I thought, oh my god, here's the perfect opportunity to get some explanation as to why that that Asian clerk guy yeah. was doing anything that he did. Like, you I could thought, tell oh. early on, like he was infatuated with Maeve a little, and like, okay, he'll he'll help her a little. But at this point, yeah, you were killing dozens of people. Murders are happening because of <laughs> like maybe one murder, maybe one murder yeah. is okay, yeah. right? But maybe 15... maybe when she tried to slice your partner's throat open, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a red flag. <laughs> that's a red flag. I thought, well, oh, here's the perfect opportunity to 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 show that right. uh, that that. Um, uh, what's his name? That uh, Anthony Hopkins was was telling this guy to do that, like mm-hmm. in some way, was was influencing right. his behavior. But no, he's just, I guess, a, a rube. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so stuff like that. I, I thought Ford's dialogue was basically throughout the whole season, eighty to ninety percent. If you take it like line by line, eighty to ninety percent of it was either inscrutable or intentionally a deception. You right. mean like the entire show? They, like that, that's been my problem with the show from the start. So I think, yeah, I can understand your issues with the finale. But in terms of like, yeah, examples of what the show is doing well, I think we see more of it in this finale than we did like in the middle episodes, you know, or as they were building up this mystery. I don't care about the corporate Delos like whole thing. I don't care about any of that happening. Give me characters I care about. And maybe... I would like to see um, what the world is like outside because yeah. the story is so insular. It kind of doesn't mean anything if we don't know why they feel justified in mowing down humanity. Right? Did, or did why you not Ford geek out it. when you saw Samurai World, though? Uh, yeah, Samurai World ready, was great. Ready for that. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the explanation. Um, it's complicated. Uh, but, yeah, I want to see the world outside of, like, the, you know, the, the, whole, the, the whole theme park area. Yeah, you almost about- got it. About a billion yeah. questions I have about I, how I this feel, world works. Yeah. I have like uh, sci-fi blue balls at this point because like yeah. Maeve was on the train. We, right. She's going to get out there. We're going to have like some shots outside of this world. Nope. Because if we can make, you know, 
imperceptibly different uh, robots to humans. Uh, <laughs> the thing, the last thing I'm doing is making a, a theme park for the West World. You know, like the, <laughs> the world changes in infinite ways before you ever get to theme park version. You know, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm very curious, and and that's another thing that I had a problem with the show is that you you really can't think about any of it too long, or else it yeah. just collapses under its own, you know. It's a John story. It collapses yeah. under its own like dream construct, right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It's you know there are so many million things of why none of that should have happened, uh, <laughs> and if you if you if you think too long about any of the sci-fi concepts it's like yeah. but wait a second that uh, would never how does this work yeah, nobody I, would I ever... still don't know how they have like humans in that world and okay humans feel like it's okay to like you know kill or you know rape or do yeah. whatever you want how do you know if you're attacking a host and not another human exactly yeah you know? or how do bow and arrows work <laughs> Yeah, for, yeah, forget about bow and arrows. How do freaking swords work in yes. right. so samurai world? Giant yeah. knives. There's <laughs> got to be the guy that like slit the throat of the robot only to find out it was like Gary from accounting. He was like, oh, crap. I thought you were one of the robots that's fun to kill. You know the words? You say the words to say that you're human. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Last thoughts? Closing thoughts, guys? I'm uh, looking forward to it, but it's not till what, 2018, right? So yeah, hopefully probably. this gives them time to really iron out this show you know it's reminding me a lot of um i think a lot of other ambitious shows like uh the leftovers i loved season one even though it was so messy and but i felt more for those characters but leftovers also changed tremendously in the second season and i'm hoping uh this show can do something like that yeah i guess there's some quote that um somebody was saying that this is that was we just saw the the prologue to what is really the story uh, right, right. That's, evan that's, rachel wood said that yeah i think that's a very exciting prospect uh and i'm i'm in i'm in i i found the uh the finale to be very encouraging as far as um the way this show is being handled as far as information is going but i also it made me pine for a mainstream sci-fi show that has some optimism and some mm. joy and and you know i i tweeted this out but it's such a bleak view and we get so much of that these days, this bleak yeah. view of technology, bleak view. And I know I'm a big fan of Black Mirror. I'm a big fan of a lot of these bleak shows, yeah. but I I would love to have that balanced in some way. And everybody's like, oh, Star Trek's coming back. Yeah, I know. But we know the Star Trek optimism. I'd love to find a new sci-fi concept that can permeate the mainstream and give us a little bit of hope. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, joy for the future because I grew up reading Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke and these writers that really had a delight in knowledge and thought that tomorrow was going to be better than today. And I know that it's hard these days to think that, but man, we gotta, we gotta let our fiction shine a light into the future yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I, I do. I would recommend The Expanse to you, Jeff. And in a weird way, too, like watching this show and the whole thing about the hosts and could, could this character be a host secretly? It's all reminding me of Battlestar Galactica as well, sure. the reboot. And I love that show. Like that show could be bleak and sad at times, too, because it was literally about you know the end of humanity. But that sh- there was so much more going on there. I love those characters. There were moments of like humor and hope and like sheer determination, you know, humanity surviving against all odds, things like that, which wasn't just bleakness. And I want more of that from the show. And you know what? Yeah. In the next year, I can't wait to just rewatch all of Battlestar Galactica. Dave, you should really give that a shot. 
I've seen the first two seasons of that show. Yeah, so, and I enjoyed fine. it. I enjoyed it. You're I heard good. it. You can uh, stop there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's <laughs> what I. According to Jeff, I can stop there. Uh, uh, if you want to hear three more hours of conversation about uh, decod- uh, about Westworld, check out my other podcast, Decoding Westworld. Uh, dot com and also uh, a new show I'm doing with John Robinson, GenPopShow.com. Uh, but it sounds like you guys overall enjoyed this season. I'm on this. I'm in the same boat. I thought there were mm-hmm. some really amazing moments that made this worth uh, going on in this journey. So yeah, uh, and hopefully season two is even better. So we'll see. Maybe it'll be like leftover style. Season two is hard awesome. for yep. me to believe that uh, season two will be better without Anthony Hopkins, but we'll see. Eh, more focus. On he's so good. Yeah, he's, he's he he takes absolute drivel. And makes it sound good. So, yeah. Wait till we yeah. get the Anthony Hopkins host, guys. Well, Come maybe on. he was the host. Maybe it was only killed. A, only killed the host. Okay, so. I'm ending this podcast. Now. <laughs>